75% of Americans, whether Christian or not, believed that there's a perfect job out there for them. Then 55% of them believed it was up to them to figure it out on their own. So, like, this is an oppressive belief system about work, that there's only one thing I can do and it's up to me to find it. Like, no wonder we're so anxious. Welcome to the Resilient Faith at Work podcast, where you will find and apply God's wisdom to your work. I'm Dr. Chip Roper, and I'm joined by Ken Kennard and Sarah Evers. We aim to inspire, challenge, and equip you to follow Jesus in the vocational dimension of your life. As we begin this episode, I want to thank our generous donors who make this podcast possible. We are grateful for your support. VOCA funders sign up to change lives by changing work. And if you like this content and want to partner with us to reach more workers, invest in VOCA. Just go to vocacenter.org give and join us today. Well, guys, my life is about to get so much more complicated. Why? Because <laughs> my <laughs> we have five more weeks of school, of elementary school, and my daughter is in fifth grade, and in our community, that means she will leave elementary school and go to middle school. So this is all end of elementary school stuff. We have um, last orchestra concert, last choir concert. We have um, moving up ceremony at school. We have... Uh, the color dash. We have um, biz town field trips. And then we have the youth group and church activities of her last Awana meeting and her Awana graduation. And then the youth group move up ceremony where they welcome the incoming sixth graders. And then the, the go to church Sunday school session where they move them up. So my next five weeks are all about move up ceremonies and embracing a new season of life. And I don't know if I'm ready. Oh, wow. <laughs> You don't know if you're ready because... Uh, like, like Calendar and schedule-wise, like I'm totally all over that. I'm completely ready for that. But as I keep telling my daughter, I am always sad to see a stage of life for her close, a stage of development, because it becomes my favorite. But then I'm also curious and excited and eager to see who she's becoming and see what's coming in the next phase. So um, I'm going to be up in my feels for the next five weeks <laughs> as we <laughs> close out this season of life. Up in your feels? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. My, my emotions and my feelings just might be close to the surface uh, as I think about all these transitions. How did you learn so many hip phrases? <laughs> well, she does have a fifth grader in the house. Yes, that's true. I do. And my niece just started her job yesterday at the local ice cream place. So, of course, we had to stop by her new work and see her learning. how. She had to go to scoop school before she could show up and uh, have her first day. That's so funny. I scoop school. my scoop school, my summer is going to be about the ice cream place and um, about getting ready for sixth grade in a new school. What transitions are you guys looking at? Well, we're going to be grandparents. <gasps> what? That's a transition. When's that happening, yep. Chip? Congratulations. November. It's happening in November. Wow. Whoa. Look at the smile on your face, Chip. You're really glad about this. <laughs> I am. What will your grandchildren call you? They're going to call me Pop-Up, probably. Hmm, okay. Or Pops. So Audrey's going to be Mimi, and they're joking about calling me Pee-Pee, but that's just not... <laughs> that's not happening. I mean, it may be Italian for Grandpa or something, but I'm not Italian, so it's not happening. <laughs> yeah, they're excited, so... Yeah, very exciting. First trimester is over. So yeah, that's transition. Wow, that's a huge transition. <laughs> it sure is. Sure is. Yeah. So what? How, how do you think it'll be for you, Chip, to be a grandfather? Um, I don't. I don't know. I think when I think about our own kids, I think the first couple years, you know, they smell so good. The baby head yeah. smell with the stuff. Yeah, mm-hmm. they smell good. They're. But it's you kind of, at least with the for our first, you just kind of keep going. You don't really slow down. You're just carrying around this little bundle of love and life with you. Um, and it's when you start to interact with them that I think it gets really fun. So I think that's when it's going to get fun. Yeah. Getting in trouble with my grandson, that's going to be. Yes, I can see that. I, that is something I look forward to. And then doing, you know, fishing stuff. You know. Mm-hmm. Pop, Pops is taking me fishing. That sounds pretty good. 
That's, uh, that's going to be so fun. I can't wait to see you move into that role. So, it's great. And our, our you know, son-in-law and daughter are totally psyched. Yeah, and That's great. So, it's fun. Well, <clears throat> um, my oldest son uh, is in college, and I went to pick him up and brought him home. And the life transition happened when he said to me, I don't think I'll come home next summer. Maybe I'll <gasps> go and work somewhere or do, you know, <gasps> do something. And I was like, I didn't even know that was on the menu. You know, like that, that's, wow. That's grown up stuff. Yeah, that's grown up stuff, you know. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm having trouble going from fifth grade to sixth grade. So I am not <laughs> anywhere near ready to be in your shoes, Ken. Holy cow. Well, blessings to you, Father. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting though like when we think about these transitions and how they're coming for each of us that like we've seen this in our work and we've seen how certain clients and other things you get used to working with them and then if they're an individual coaching client most people don't work with you forever right they they eventually they either move on or they get done their engagement and we've even seen it with some of our, our larger corporate clients and it's like we just can't shake transitions they just keep coming yeah and and who and and who looks forward to a transition a transition itself is really kind of weird and awkward like it's not here and it's not there it's kind of in between and it feels like a little bit uncomfortable and i don't know what to do and it's a mix of emotions it's an unsettling place to be in transition and i think that's what i, what I was feeling and whether it causes distress or you stress, right? Whether you're looking forward to it and it's good or it's something you're not looking forward to, it is stressful, right? It's, it's, it's change and, uh, and transitions are top the list of, of stressful situations that cause us challenges. So I, even if it's good, it's still, it still can yeah, cause some stress. And it's uncertain. It's the uncertainty yeah. that, that makes me stressful. It's like, well, what, what is this going to be like? And how am I going to be? And how is he going to be? And I don't know. And that's a great lead into our topic today because we're talking about our friends that are that are facing uncertainty around their calling or the or and the work they're gifted to do, and they're struggling with that. And so maybe maybe they've had to go through a transition that's that's raised this question for them. Maybe they think they need one, but they don't know what it is. But there's this sense of doubt. You know, am I really doing what I'm called to do? Which probably for most of our listeners means, am I really doing what God wants me to do? Uh, and or am I doing what I'm gifted to do? Which I guess could be the same thing. I think I think I feel a Venn diagram coming on. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it's just, it's that word that kind of that you talk about uncertainty is coming out in our research. So let's just, this is the third, it's number three. Uh, so that it's the third from the top, I guess. Second, uh, third from the top. So it's number three out of the top six dilemmas. We haven't revealed number two or number one yet. And it was reported by 24% of our respondents. It is the number one dilemma for Gen Z workers. 44% of them reported that this is their top challenge. Am I really doing what I'm called to do? Am I really doing what I'm gifted to do? Um, it's number two for millennial workers. So, and millennials are the largest cohort in the in the workplace so that they're 80 percent of workers are millennials um so it's big what i find really interesting about that chip is that i mean it makes sense that this is the number one dilemma for gen z workers because they're at the beginning part of their career and when you think about uh, career development your 20s that's when you want to get as many different experiences as you can right that's when you're trying to figure out what am i good at what could i be great at with practice what you know what am i really interested in and so like that uncertainty doesn't surprise me for Gen Z. It's really interesting though, when you think about for millennials, those who are in their forties, that that's the dilemma of, are they working at their calling? Because the forties tend to be where you're figuring out your expertise and you're honing that um, expertise and you're beginning to turn to that point of, of uh, major life contribution. So um, that I think is where the real interest is what are these millennials thinking? How are they getting input into figuring out their gifting and their calling? Uh, and that's where I think a lot of a lot of stress uh, can can hit. No, that's well said. A couple of thoughts, just to broadly about this from an analysis point of view. Um, 
you know, as we, since we ask these questions every year, we're curious about how answers change. And one of the shifts we see from 22 to 23 is that this, this dilemma, like, am I doing, am I doing the work I'm gifted to do? Um, is this my calling? Is a much more introspective question than should I quit my job, mm-hmm. which is more strategy. It's more tactical. And it's like, We've gone from the great resignation where everybody could just quit. Everybody's quitting their jobs, which isn't totally true. Although a lot of people change jobs over the last two two years, um, very very high percentage. Um, but it's 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 not about the tactical. It's more about it's more about me. And I don't say about me in the sense of like an egotistical way. It's just I'm thinking a bit about maybe it's not the job. You know, maybe it's things that I need to discover. Maybe it's things that I need to know. Um, so I actually see that as fairly positive. I think that could be a positive development. I, th- you know, I think who said that the unexamined life isn't worth living? Was that Socrates? Um, and so people just hopping jobs. So we talked about rage quitting uh, a few episodes ago. Like that's like we're not fans of that. We think that's you're paying the dumb tax over and over again when you do that. So if people are asking deeper questions, I think that's that's an upside to this this statement. The other thing is. I think, especially on the giftedness question, you can figure that out. Like, this is yeah. a very, very <laughs> solvable question. This is not, mm-hmm. like last time we talked about, last episode we talked about bringing redemption to brokenness, and it's it's, it's, a, li- it's a little squishy in some ways, and it could flow in different ways. But when it comes to understanding your giftedness, like, what do you, like, that is a measurable, discernible thing. So that's that's good. There's also some challenges with this question, and it has to do with a myth around the idea of the perfect job. Mm-hmm. And I was just sitting with a young man who, um, college, college uh, rising senior, and he's, he's talking about his dream job. And he was very clear kind of on what those things were. And we were talking about another option um, that I actually thought could maybe get him to his dream job, but he wasn't very excited about it. And because he had a very, very narrow view of what was really would be a good job for him. And uh, Barna did some research like two years ago, and they found um, 75% of Americans, whether Christian or not, like both Christians and then Americans, it didn't really, it made no difference, made no difference whether they had faith or not, believed that there's a perfect job out there for them. There's one perfect job out there for them. That's what they believe. Um, and then 55% of them believed it was up to them to figure it out on their own. So mm-hmm. like, this is an oppressive belief system about work that there's only one thing I can do and it's up to me to find it. Like, no wonder we're so anxious. Um, so I think I think that could be, that's reflected perhaps in this, this statement and, um, and that, that this dilemma is up high is that I'm uncertain. I, and, and perhaps part of that, part of the piece of that is that maybe I've missed it already. Ah. You know, I've missed it. I've missed the train already and I didn't get on the right path. I missed my calling. I missed what I'm gifted to do and I'm screwed. So that's my cheery introduction guys. What do you think? <laughs> Wow. If that's the case, if those things are true, then everyone has missed their calling and no one has the perfect job. Because what all the people that I know of, they have had a path. Their career has been on a journey. They've had this job for a while and that job for a while, and they've learned different things in different jobs. And they've seen how those things have been useful in building to other kinds of opportunities. And they show up with, with sort of a range of expertise and experience that's complex and interesting. It's what makes them unique. Um, so it just makes me think about does, how well does that fit reality? Yeah, we have this idea that career progression and career pathing, it's all up and to the right, but it's more, uh, it's not that linear. <laughs> it's more circuitous. The things that you learn, the job that you take, and sometimes you change a, a role or change a company and it's, it's not a promotion, it's a lateral move. Uh, but that lateral move opens up other progressions. Um, my niece is in 11th grade, and uh, 11th grade is ending, so she's a rising 12th grader. 
So my sister's been talking to her a lot about how can you keep the path wide for opportunities instead of going super narrow with the school that she goes to for college or even thinking about a, a declaring a major right now, something super specific. Her, her, her encouragement to my niece has been just, you know, how can we widen the road for opportunities to come your way so that as you get older and know yourself better and are no, more aware of your interests, you can then narrow down. Let's start with a road as wide open as possible. Well, I think what you're, you're dialing into this idea that there's a, you need a diversity of experiences. And I think, you know, one of the challenges that everybody faces, no matter when they're doing this, is that they have a limited range of exposures. So mm -hmm. most high school students have never seen what real science in industry looks like. They don't know what it's like to be an engineer. Like it is not your science teacher. They're wonderful, but it's just not like, it's not like following instructions with test tubes in a lab. I mean, it's, it's making stuff, but they don't get to really see that and experience that. So you have to, you have to work hard uh, to find opportunities for exposure. And mm -hmm. I like to, I say, figure out what it smells like to really work there, you know, go visit. And it doesn't, that task of, of exploration never ends in my opinion. You know, I was just mapping out a plan for a person that's facing retirement and they're healthy and they're energetic. And what do they do with retirement? It's the same process. You go talk to other people that are doing some of the kinds of things you think you might want to do because by showing, like being able to show up and see their world, whether that's over coffee or at an office or in a Zoom call, it's a really, really inexpensive way of learning what it's like and seeing how that opportunity connects with your imagination. And, you know, it's, there's a real world discovery part that we've built into the coaching that we do for those that are, that are navigating career change. It's real world discovery. You, it's, it's got to get out. You've got to increase your number of data points. And I don't know about you guys see, but I see with the clients that are struggling, they have low, they have low exposures. Like they do not have a lot of, of like, firsthand, this is what it's like to work in mm -hmm. this field type of conversations. And so their imaginations are very limited or stuck in theory land. Yeah. So, so Chip, I wonder if both could be true. Like what, what you're talking about is the value of getting out there, more experience, more exposure, following people around, seeing what work is really like and opening up your landscape of view to all the wide possibilities so that you have more to work with, more more options to consider, right? And I'm wondering if it's also true for people who are uncertain about their calling um, to think about that maybe their career has already started. Like maybe God isn't uncertain about your career. And he's actually put you where you are now because he wants something to happen where you are, whether it's your family, exposure to your parents' careers, your friends' careers, uh, the, the people that you're put in contact with. Like, I think part of career pathing is being where you are and making good use of today and being faithful with a little bit and, and allowing that to mature and develop and 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 sort of milk it for what it's worth because you're you're picking up relationships where you are you're picking up skills where you are if you're diligent you're making progress you're building muscle for work um and and we have this idea when we're young like i can't wait for my career to start it's going to start when my perfect job starts well maybe your maybe your career's already started i think that's i think that i want to put a fine point on what you're saying so i think there's sort of two answers to this question and we have to hold them both at the same time and in some ways hold them in tension um, and that's that the, if you're working, even if your work right now is finding work, there's value, God given value and dignity in the work that you're doing, no matter what it is. Like I had this question from a group of students last week. What, what, do, how do I understand? Like I have to wait tables to get myself through grad school. Like, is that work have value? The waiting tables work, even though it's, I want to go through grad school and be a PhD. And we, you know, we just, we, I didn't just say yes, uh, 
even though I could have because I was the guest speaker and I could say whatever I wanted. I, 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 we, we thought through this together, you know, like what, what are some of the valuable things you do at, in that job of being a server? And what's the impact that a great server can have on your experience when you're dining? Like we all know the difference between a good one and a bad one, right? Like it really mm-hmm. makes a difference. And what are you learning as you do that? Like, so we just started to do some thought experiments about the sort of macro value of that and then the personal advantages of it. Like you just said, Ken, you're always learning. So I think that there's that side of it, that the whatever you're doing right now, if, you know, you it's the whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your heart. It's Ecclesiastes 9. It's it's this idea that there's value and dignity to it. You're joining God in his work and creation. So there's there's that side to it that a lot of us lose. Um, because we're not in the perfect job. So we're always, we're always, we're actually always working somewhere else in our imagination. And so there's that side to it. So there, there's this, there's an opportunity for many of us to find the dignity in what we're doing now, even if it's not ideal, even if there's some really hard and toxic things about where we're working right now. The, but the other side of it is that there is a rigorous process that you can follow to discover what else might be possible. Yes. And, that's the, that's the second side. That's the wide opportunity thing that Sarah was talking about. It's this iterative, I think, experimental, exploratory mindset that is also in Ecclesiastes chapter, uh, Ecclesiastes 11. talks about sow your seed in the morning and don't withhold your hand into the evening because you don't know which one's going to take root. And it's this idea that we're experimenting, we're trying, we're throwing things out there and we're seeing what kind of feedback we get um, from the world. And... The people that we see who are stuck and feeling like my work doesn't matter and I'm not sure it's the work I'm gifted to do, they're not doing either. Right? They're not finding the dignity, value. They're not anchoring the, what my current work, how does it fit into God's overarching plan of, of human flourishing, you know, cultivating the natural world for human flourishing. Like they're not connecting it on the macro level and they're also not actively really exploring with humility and an, an open an open heart. I, at least that's what I see it's kind of like and if they're if they're hungry and they're ready and they're tired of the pain we can help them do all those things but it's it's fairly common that it's actually missing on sort of both sides of that equation like they're just I I, I screened a person a couple of weeks ago he was just like he wasn't really doing anything actually he wasn't really working so that's but he was so he wasn't really finding the dignity in working at finding a job, finding work, right? He was just sort of very passive, and he was waiting. He lit, and he just said, "I'm not gonna. I don't think I should do anything. I think God's just gonna give me my next show." Like the phone literally said, "Like the phone's just gonna ring." And I think it might. You know, who am I to say? Maybe he really has a word from God, but it just feels like it's actually not usually the way it works in God's world. Yeah, I think that if you are not doing the first part, which is to really be where you are, serve, learn, suck the marrow out of the current situation, and you're also not trying to explore what else is out there as a young person, I'm speaking about the young person who's like, needs to look at other options and see what else is out there. If you're not doing either one, then being uncertain and anxious about your work is the logical consequence of that. And maybe it would motivate you then to do something about it, right? Like, I think that's a healthy dose of anxiety. It says, hey, something needs to change here. Yeah, that's you interesting. Know? Anxiety can be healthy. Well, I, I think I think some of it can be healthy. If, if, it, if, it, if, it's a, if it's a wake up call that says, I don't really, uh, yeah, I don't really know where I'm going and maybe I should figure that out. I think that can be in a short dose, in, in a small dose, that, that kind of thing can be healthy because it could motivate you to say, okay, well then what is a good plan? Let's seek out the advice of others. Let's talk to my parents. Let's talk to my friends. Let's talk to my coworkers. Let's do some investigation. Let's volunteer somewhere in a direction that I think I might want to go. Let's do some career coaching. Let's do some assessments. You know, let's let's follow some best practices. Let's um, take action. It, let's take action. It's much easier to steer a ship that's moving than one that's not. Right. Yes. I think it's important. It seems important for me to to me that we just point out, this is not a young person's problem. The people get stuck on this question and they, it happens to people at every age. Yes. It happens at, you know, it happens to the 40 year old who like they've been doing, like they did 
Maybe they picked a career because their their dad told them, or their dad like they there's social reasons why they picked their career. It's sucking the life out of them. Um, they, like it happens to that forty year old. It happens to the fifty year old who gets usually they get laid off, uh, and then they find it hard to find a new job quickly, uh, which is fairly normal because the older you are, the harder it is usually to find a job. Um, so. So then they're asking these questions or they're sort of phasing into a retirement phase or a slowdown phase, like the same uh, questions and the same maladies affect people all along the age continuum. It really, it doesn't seem to matter. Um, and it's, it's not, so I think there's a, some universal pieces here um, that we've, we've touched on. And you know, another thing we, we really haven't hit on as much yet is the gifts idea. Like, how do you know what your gifts are? What do you guys think about that? How do you know what you're good at? Well, I, for me, I found it through feedback, uh, finding what what people have reflected back to me that they've appreciated or enjoyed or where they've seen me having joy. Uh, I've also taken stock of what is it that I like to do. doesn't mean I'm good at it just because I like to do it. Uh, and then I've also done a number of assessments and, you know, I do the, we do these things with our clients all the time. We, with our career navigator, we take them through a process of getting feedback from their colleagues past and, and current and taking a number of assessments to help them get an idea of what it is that they bring to work. What is their best contribution? So I think that rigorous process, that uh, intentional effort to discover your best contribution pays off in the end when you understand how God's wired you. What I like about that, Sarah, is you're touching on the subjective and the objective parts of this. The subjective is, how does it feel when I do this work? How much do I like it? Am I passionate about this? Can I see myself doing this, right? And that that presupposes that you've tried enough things to know how to compare those, right? Uh, but then there's also the objective part. Like when someone tells me, hey, you're really much better at this than a lot of other people that I've worked with. Or when an assessment comes back and says, you're in the top five percentile for this natural ability. Or, you know, when we get feedback from people at work that says, we want you to do this kind of work for us because we see how effective and efficient you are with it. Like those are objective things. And when you combine the objective with the subjective, I think you see that God's giving you lots of clues that you can use to get clarity about how he's gifted you, that he designed you with a purpose and it, he's not trying to keep it a secret. This is not a game where he hides all the information and waits for you to somehow, some, somehow stumble upon it and like, ha, ah, gotcha, you know. Um, if he made you with a purpose, he wants you to use the purpose and he's gonna give you lots of clues for how to, how to find there. Uh, what those are. Partner with him, be responsible for what he's given you to do and see how that uh, shapes your understanding as you move forward. Yeah, I think, you know, this is a, one of these areas where humility is rewarded with clarity because it takes humility to seek feedback. And it takes humility to acknowledge that I'm not good at everything, but I am good at some things. Mm-hmm. And so we tend to be, we tend to yeah, hit this pendulum with that one. Like we either think we could do anything, which is like, I can do everything. I can do anything I set my mind to. That's a lie. Um, and then we, we flip over to, you know, I'm a loser. I can't do anything. Well, that's a lie. And there's this range of things that all, each one of us, it's different. It's unique to each of us, but there's a range of things that we could do well. And generally speaking, you know, you're going to get more energy and feel frankly, more passionate about something you can do well than you are something that's a struggle to just sort of meet basic requirements. I mean, that's just the way it is. Um, one of my one of my mentors suggested that, and this is not always going to work in every case, but if your parents are still alive and they're relatively sane, um, ask them, you know, what did you always think I'd be good at? And I think in some case, that's, doesn't cost anything. <laughs> well, in some of your cases, it may cost. They're like, oh no, I got to call my mom. But, um, but you know, it's like, it doesn't really cost anything. But it's it's one step. I mean, when you think about, like Sarah, you were just saying, you got feedback from people. It's really important to pay attention to that. And some of us say, well, I don't get any feedback. Well, that actually tells you something. That is feedback. And then you start to ask for it. Hey, what do we think I'm doing well? What do you think? I could do better. I was just meeting with a client yesterday. 
like 15 years at the same place, never had a performance review. Mm. Now, we don't think, as consultants, we would say, well, that's not good leadership, right? It's not good culture. But that doesn't help him. You know, he needs to get feedback. And he can ask for it. And the more he asks for it, uh, the more he'll learn. And he, he's a learner and he's developing and it's good. But my point is just around this issue of the specifically the giftedness question, I think we really can answer that question. That is an answerable question. But it's only humble people that have clarity around that um, and can embrace it. You know, I, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I see people, I see this one a lot. I see people that are really good at sales trying to manage. They get promoted and they're trying to manage these complex organizations and they just hate it but it's hard for them to acknowledge like i'm a hunter not a farmer and this 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 and out like i just and everybody knows it but the whole system just seems to not want to deal with this reality that there's a difference between a great salesperson and a great manager and they're very rarely the same person that's a grown-up example what about the calling part like what about missing god's plan for your work life which I think is the fear that's embedded in this dilemma. What do you say to somebody that's struggling with that? You just say, "Well, you know, what you're doing now is valuable. That must be God's calling." How do you what what? How do you coach somebody that say, "I th- I'm just not sure what I'm doing is God's calling." Well, I the first thing I would ask them about is, "What does it mean to be called?" Like, what is that? I mean, just think about the words. If someone called you, that means somebody's initiating something, and it's not you. <laughs> so. So, so you are basically, you know, if you look at Ephesians, it talks about we've been created as God's workmanship, as handiwork, prepared in advance. God is prepared in advance things for us to do. You think about the fact that when we submit to him, that as, as our designer, he, he will make good use of what he's designed. He's very efficient and effective when it comes to his design work. So his responsibility is really to, if he's called you, he's going to make it possible to follow that calling. Now you can disobey, you can decide not to partner with him, you can ignore all the signs. Um, you have some freedom and autonomy. That's part of what he created, is he created someone that can tell him no. What do you What do you think some of those signs are? The signs of the calling? I think the signs of the calling are break, boil down to the subjective and the objective things that, that we talked about. You know, the subjective things is how I respond to things differently than other people do. And I'm passionate about things that other people are not. And I have a sort of a burning desire, an inquisitive mind about certain kinds of things and other things are kind of boring and I don't, I don't see the appeal. And like, <laughs> you know, so I think that's part of it, the, those, those subjective things. And part of it is the, the objective things, the, the, the ways I'm naturally wired, my abilities, my skills, my performance, what I can do relative to other people. I think that's part of it. Um, and I think part of it is the opportunities that I have, what people are willing to pay me to do, you know, that's part of the Venn diagram is that God's not going to prepare me to do something that no one wants and no one will pay for. And so I'm just left to, you know, be out here with a wasted life. Like, does it, does it make sense to me that he would do that? Yeah. I think that external validation is important. It's tricky because you may not have it initially, but at some point somebody has to recognize us in us, the capacity to do whatever it is and do it well and say, you're good and you're good at this, or you're at least I'm really glad you're on there. Like there has to be some, an opportunity and, and I think down the line some affirmation. And if there's not, I mean, it's just, it's just wishful thinking. I was, yeah. I was talking to this young, go ahead, Sarah. Well, I was just thinking, uh, Ken, I, I think as you were talking, I was imagining the Venn diagram. Maybe you even called out a Venn diagram, but there is something about uh, the, the problems in the world, the brokenness of the world, where that combines with what I'm interested in and the way I'm wired, what I'm passionate about with what somebody will pay me for. I think those three overlapping circles kind of create what the, what an indication of your calling, a direction to head in. Yeah. And if there's a fourth one, it's probably that I'm good at it. It would be good to be good at it. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, for me, that's where it all starts. And the only, the only way a young person figures out what they're good at is by trying stuff. Mm-hmm. and um, start somewhere. Start where you are, which is back to the idea that everything you do has got some value. But also it's like, what opportunities do you have? You know, you're a college student. You're going to get a summer job, which it's already the summer for college students. So what can you do? 
like if you only have one option or if you have three options, choose the best. I would just assume that's what God's calling you to do for now. You don't want to say, well, I don't have anything to do this. Like I didn't get the right thing this summer. So I'm just not going to work this summer. You know, in my opinion, like I think God's calling for you now is what, whatever you've been given to do. And, um, and then you get into more of this iterative process of learning and discerning as you go forward. It's kind of, it's back to that present tense future, the, the value of what I'm doing now and the need for the process to look for the future. So go ahead, Sarah. And I think the question you asked earlier of what do we say to the person who feels like they've missed their calling? I think there's a real need for people to, to hear on that. I had a client who felt like she had missed her calling. Uh, she, and she thought that because underneath what we rooted out was that she felt like full-time Christian ministry work was a higher value, higher calling in God's kingdom. So with her, what we really had to do is think through what, what did she, what was really in her belief system and, um, and what was true in her belief system and what was true about her view of God and how he sees her and her current work and role. Uh, so I think we all have work to do in that area of what is it, do, are, do we believe true things about God? And because, what was it, um, uh, Tozier. Tozier said that what comes to our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us because we will move by secret law of the soul towards our image of God. We will become more and more like our own image of God. Um, and so do we hold things that are right and true about God so that we move towards that? Or are we creating and putting on him structures that are burdensome and overwhelming and oppressing? Uh, and so uh, with this client, we had to do some work on, on what does she believe about God? But there was a sense of freedom for her when she realized that her work was of the same, was valuable to God also, even though it wasn't full-time Christian paid work. So when you say all that, I, well, I think it, it's good. I'm wondering how it divides between what she thinks about God and what she thinks about what God thinks about work. Because there could be two different issues there. So one is you're, you're dialing into this idea of a hierarchy of callings and if you're really spiritual you're going to be a professional christian or a missionary or something like that and which is in the air it just is any any faith community it's in the air and it's certainly in the air in christian community so that's part of it but there could also be a part of it like what we think about god in general like is he for us or against us is he the cosmic policeman or is he the loving father that's you know like guiding us along the way, even when we can't see it, you know, footsteps in the sand. Like there's the, there's all, that's, that's an interesting dimension of this too. Like I've failed God and he's punishing me mm-hmm. kind of could be, could be in there, which does the, there's a sort of unhelpful, untrue hierarchy of callings thing that you touched on, but there's also could be maybe a theological component. I miss the boat and God is mad at me and I can never get right. I'm in deficit. I'm in the hole. I'll never get out. And I think uh, that's not what I see about who God is. I think there's always an opportunity for us to, to walk with him. And the best is always ahead when we walk with God. We have things to look forward to with hope, whether it's in our work or making a difference in other people's lives or contributing to the world when we walk with Jesus. Yeah, I mean, even if you, so when I when I talk with people about that question, like they missed it, you know, we'll go into depth about, well, what was it? Majority of the time, they're not sure. <laughs> how could you it's be, not uh, like, how can you be so sure that you missed your calling if you're not sure what your calling is? It's like free-floating vocational guilt. It's like a collaboration between the Catholics and Protestants. You know, the Catholics are good, at, they have Catholics talk about their Catholic guilt. Well, we have Protestant guilt too, and it, it's like a, it's a partnership joint venture of the two branches of the church to make everybody feel like their vocations don't really matter or something. So a lot of times they don't know. They don't go back. They don't have like a Jonah moment where Jonah, where God shows them, you got to go do this. And they say, no, they go the opposite direction. Very, 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 I don't, I don't know if I've ever run into somebody like that. It's just this vague sense that they're not doing enough. I think there's also a sense that we've drifted that maybe we've drifted from our calling with the Lord. And that's often rooted in a drifting in our walk with God. 
But I, I think God's a God of second chances and he's a God of miracles. And if, if I have that much power in God's world that I can mess up his plan, then I also need to believe that he has enough power to make his plan right again and get me back on track. If I think I'm a big enough agent to mess up his plan. Um, I, I think I've got to think both things that God's big enough to God's bigger than me and he'll make it right. Yeah. And, and probably his perspective is better than mine too. I, I was just thinking like, what's it like to hear all this complaining and whining about not finding one's calling? Like what if you're Jesus and you're listening to this? What are you thinking right now? You're thinking, wait a minute. So I, I made the world. I made it good. I made you. I put you in it. I got stuff for you to do. I got plans. I'm growing a kingdom here. Like we're going someplace. It's going to be great. Like you said, he's a God of second chances. He's a God of grace. He's a God that extends an open invitation. Come, let's have dinner together. Come, let's, let's reason together. Come, let's look at the opportunities. Join me in what I'm doing. There's a place for everyone here. There's an abundance of mm. roles and responsibilities and things you can do. And, you know, uh, he wants us to be in that place where we're be being a part of the good things that he's created. And gosh, it's just a great opportunity to step into this and have some fun with it. Yeah, pressed down, shaken together, running over, abundance. <laughs> Can't run out, not just dipping your finger in, but fully submerged and overflowing. Now, I was just gonna say that I think there's some questions that our listeners can wrestle with to help them on this. Because you know, on the one hand, we don't want them to get stuck uh, and, or just, it does become this sort of self-referential loop where you're like paralyzing yourself with over, analysis right and it's it's not helpful but yeah so one of the questions just asked is what are you good at like what kinds of things do you just do naturally well and you're it's and it's repeatable repeatable is a huge concept like whenever you're in this kind of situation you do it well you know and and it's the older you get the more you should be looking for those repeatables i think that's that's one that's one thing second like what opportunities are there in your landscape right now and maybe the opportunity is to be excellent in your current job. And that's really the only real opportunity you have. And that's, we'd say that's plenty, that's enough. Um, and so that's, that's really important. Um, you know, third, it goes back to some of those things we were talking about. I was like, like, if you feel like you've missed your calling, what was it? You know, what was that thing that you really were so, that you think you've missed or ignored? And if it's just, Go past the vague feeling. What really was it? I think that's really, I think that's an important question to ask. And Ken, you kind of scratched on this one a little earlier, but I think, how would you know what you were doing was God's calling? Like, how would you know it? Like, what, what are your criteria for checking that box? And I, and one of the things that some of my, my clients and people I've discussed this stuff with have said is, well, I would know it was God's calling if I didn't do anything to get it. And I think that's why, like why? And I've asked that, you know, why is that? Well, because if it's anything I'm doing, then it can't be from God. And it's like, so that's some twisted theology right there in my view. Like most, not always, but most of like sort of the day to day in any kind of biblical text or story is there's a divine human partnership that doesn't happen without God. So, He's the, he's the managing partner. Like he's the one that really, in a sense, but humans cooperate. And so this lack of willingness to cooperate, this pious passivity, I just think, yeah, but I, I would say, well, you know, how would you know? And um, that's, and don't come up, come up with a better answer than it would just drop in my lap. Um, so I, I don't know, what, are there any other questions you guys think that that person who's struggling? Cause we know, you know, there is a little bit of come on, get on with it, stop complaining in this podcast episode, but we also know that's a real spot. I think I know I've been there and I'm really been uncertain about what's next. Um, and um, what other what other questions or threads of exploration in addition to things that we've already said should should be added? I would just say that if you've ever felt like you did have a good day at work, thank God for that and reflect on that. And how did that happen? What was it like? What did you do? Who got the glory? 
you're already on a path. Uh, sometimes we feel stuck and we get paralyzed in that. We don't do anything. So I often think about what is the next step to move me forward. So if I'm feeling like I've missed God's calling or I don't know, I don't know what I should be doing, then I want to think about what could I do? What conversations can I have? What assessments can I take? What mentors can I seek out? What can I do to move forward in this? What do I need to do to to read in the Bible? What do I want to study in the Bible? What do I want to ask God for? Um, So I, the way that I'm wired, I'm always looking for what is my next step? So for those who are feeling stuck, that's my challenge. What is your next step to move from stuck? Yeah, whether it's anxiety or burnout, the path to healing always includes action. And it's, it's a critical piece of it. So when it comes to this topic, you know, I'm not sure I'm working in my calling. I'm not sure I'm doing what I'm gifted to do. You know, this is an area where we work with people on this question every day. And I think many of them find that the structure that we provide, the accountability they get from having a coach, frankly, the skin in the game, by like you're paying somebody to help you do this, all can help them unfreeze and get a sense of clarity and momentum. And, and ultimately that leads to a sense of confidence. And I mean, and I think the confidence we're literally and figuratively selling is, I know I'm doing what God wants me to do for now. Well, I think everybody can know that. And I know I'm doing what God wants me to do in my vocational life for now. It's, it's, it's very, it's, I don't think it's for the rest of my life. I just can know in terms of thoughtful, thoughtful questions and coaching practices and so forth, I can know that, I can know I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing now. And exhale and just get on with doing it. Hey, thanks for listening. As we close this episode, I'm going to use the H word, help. First, help us help you. Do you want to grow in your effectiveness as a worker and leader? Are you wondering if you are in the right job or career? Maybe you lead a team and wonder how to make that team better. Go to vocacenter.org slash consult for an easy scheduling link and book your appointment with one of our great coaches today. We're ready to help you. Second, help us help others. This podcast is brought to you by generous donors who change lives by changing work through their investment at Voca. If you like this content and want to partner with us to reach more workers, donate to Voca. Go to vocacenter.org slash give and begin your partnership today. We'll see you next time on the VOCA podcast where we help you build resilient faith at work.